Hello there. You're listening to Local Bops, a music podcast about artists, community, and craft. And I'm your host, Connor Beckett. Cellist, songwriter, and synth enthusiast Laura Wolf likens the tracks on her extended play Artifacts to a time capsule. Given the fact that its conception is many moons in the rearview at this point, despite its release in November of 2021. That said, Wolf's never been the type of artist to erase the page when it comes to her past creativity. She shares her demos freely on her Bandcamp, and her catalog, much like the selections included in her most recent effort, span a number of micro-genres within the space of art pop and electronic. On this episode, I spoke with Wolf about her propensity to share her craft with the world, her process of walking the line when it comes to synthetic and analog components, and what's changed in her life since she wrote the songs she's now just sharing with the world at large. I hope you relish both our conversation as well as her performances at the local Bob studio. Enjoy. So your EP Artifacts was written two years ago, and it's an EP that you described revisiting as, quote, much like opening a time capsule, one that brought you so much joy to escape into its intricacies and create a world of your own. Let's walk back together to 2019. Tell me a little bit more about the creation of this extended play, and then more about this really fun process of revisiting your own work in 2021. So... It was actually almost two years ago. So it was in March 2020. Got it. And yeah. I wrote the demos for Artifacts during a demo a day project. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, I think it was the second week of the pandemic when everything had shut down. And I just kind of like threw my anxiety into like doing this demo a day project, which I'd always wanted to do. Um, and the intention behind that at that point I had been tinkering around in Ableton for about a year um but hadn't really had the time to kind of dive into it Mm -hmm. and learn audio production and recording on my own and it was something that I felt I really needed it was it was something that I was intimidated by and something I really needed to get over in order to like move forward with my songwriting because prior to that I had only been writing on my live setup and so through that demo day process I sort of just it was kind of a practice and letting go and and just creating and then moving forward and um moving quickly and not really being too picky um and some really cool ideas came out of it and then some not so great ideas (laughs) came out of it too but um what I ended up with was a batch of a batch of demos I released them on to Bandcamp um Looking back, it's kind of cool because I, I mean, I'm much, a much better and knowledgeable producer than I was almost two years ago when I made them, but I can like hear the progression as the week goes on. Um, you're getting better in real yeah, time. Yeah. Which is cool. Like, that is kind of, that is really cool. Actually. Yeah. I feel like you don't really see that. You see that over the course of an, an artist's entire discography. Totally. But to see that happening in real time is kind of cool. Yeah. And it's, you know, like... Maybe a year ago I listened back on those demos and I was like, oh, this is so bad. I can't believe I like released these. And now I can kind of look back and lovingly be like, oh, wow. I was like at the beginning of a really fun and fascinating obsession. And um, yeah. And basically what happened is I made those songs. I abandoned them. Not really abandoned, but I... um, Abandoned is a strong word. Abandoned is a really strong word, and it turns out I didn't do that. I left them in front of a firehouse. Yeah, but they were so, um, at that point, they, like, I hadn't really figured out how to streamline my production process yet, um, and I didn't know how to fix mistakes yet. Mm. And it's kind of like, I think about this much like I think about when I was learning to knit when I was like eight years old in Girl Scouts. We were all making these like absolute messes. And my friend's mom, who was the the troop master, she was like this master knitter. And we were all coming to her with these like bundles of knots and like not, I think we were making like a coaster or something like that, but it was just like a blob of yarn. 
And I was like, why can't you just teach us how to fix this? And she's like, no, it like takes somebody, it takes a master to like be able to go back and like unwind everything the right way and put it back correctly. Like yeah. just keep making it. Her response is, I will not teach you. How right, to exactly. It. She just, yeah. gotta get it in there gotta complete um but yeah it uh I think about that a lot like I just I didn't have the technique to like really take a look at what I was doing and figure out how to kind of troubleshoot because there were so many mistakes that I made there were like cracks and pops everywhere my dad is in the background of a bunch of recordings and uh actually I never got rid of that because I kind of like it but um yeah, there were just like a lot of mistakes that were kind of like remnants of me figuring it out. I did that in March and then eight months later or seven or eight months later, I had basically been immersing myself in production and just making and making and making. I wasn't releasing stuff as much on to Bandcamp, but I was really learning a lot quickly and just throwing myself into YouTube videos and, um, you know, no social life because pandemic. And mm-hmm. I learned a lot and I went back and opened up the demos and kind of um it felt like I was taking all these different pieces and gluing them together with one what I was interested in in November of 2020 um and two with like newfound techniques of how to troubleshoot and how to um repair and um yeah and then that's that's that became artifacts you know, it's interesting. One of the places that feels significant to this extended play is, from my understanding, the attic of your parents' house, uh, which, you know, when you appeared on the Bops radio show back in December, I want to say, of last year, I believe, it was also from that attic, or had you moved on by that I point? had moved by that point. Yeah, moved on by that yeah. point. Okay. I was in the attic from, well, I wasn't living in the attic. I just, like, turned the attic into a makeshift sound studio. <laughs> Which is, it wasn't. There's no shame in living in the attic. No, I know. It's just funny because I think of it and it was like the worst sound studio ever because there's no like door. So just like everything. That's why my dad is credited on backup vocals because he's like, he was there all the whole time. Um, Yeah, by that, I left in September of 2020. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess just recording and programming the instruments on this record uh, back in March of 2020 in that attic, I feel like there. I feel like there's no way beyond like you know the actual sounds that we hear. Obviously, your dad being credited on the extended play, like that space, and I guess maybe that proximity to your folks, um, maybe created. You know, I would say a character in this extended play. You know, it it ultimately shaped the creation of this music. I think you likened it, if I have this correctly, as. Uh, an echo chamber of loneliness uh, on the track, or at least in, in the notes for the track, Cross Your Minds. And I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit more about like that space and I guess, you know, how recording in that space specifically beyond, you know, the ambient sounds that crept into the, the music uh, affected like the creation of those tracks themselves. Yeah, um, I think when I say echo chamber of loneliness, I mean, one, I was lonely Mm -hmm. because I wasn't seeing anyone besides my parents um but also I think I hadn't really thought about this before you said that but like I the way I was working then because I was in such close proximity to other people um and also like the architecture wasn't perfect for a sound making space um I was in headphones the whole time. Mm-hmm. And so it was just very much like I was just in my head and I was in the computer. I wasn't even, I would record really, really late at night mm-hmm. because everyone was asleep and I was kind of like singing really softly and singing really close to the mic. Um, and that definitely, there there were definitely bits and pieces of that experience that I've taken with me since. Um, like, I, I feel like I tapped into a vocal character that I hadn't really been comfortable with prior to that. Um, yeah, that's definitely something I've taken with me from the attic. But yeah, there were definitely there are definitely aspects of being up there that totally shaped um, the sound space of the EP. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but which is funny because so much of it is in the computer and like. We were sort of talking about this before, but 
um, I'm not, I was thinking, I like, I do have some kind of acoustic versions of the EP and they're just, they're different beasts. Like the EP feels very much like something that happened like in the computer in a very specific space. And that's kind of like where it lives. Mm. Kind of in a, a space without geography, it seems. Like. I guess so. Yeah. 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 It's interesting, too. I, I always love those stories about the ways in which the circumstances in which artists record influence like what we hear. I mean, that sort of soft vocal technique is em uh, emblematic of one of my favorite albums, I think, of all time is the XX's first record, um, which ha cool. which also was recorded under uh, similar duress, for lack of a better word, because they were recording it in their dorms after hours and they couldn't wake anybody up. But I do think that that That's endows so cool. these these tracks with um, with a certain uh, intimate warmth. Um, I don't know. It's, it's something that I noticed and I, I, I figured that it was definitely at least a product of the place in which it was recorded. I guess beyond that sort of vocal quality, I would say, were, were there any sort of, you know, effects that the space had mentally obviously you know we're, we're talking about a specific point in time but like that space specifically and its influence on your psyche that you think sort of bled into the demos and then in turn manifested on the the final version of this ep yeah i think maybe the biggest aspect was that it was like basically what would happen is i would get out of bed at like 7 30 get some caffeine and then like run up there and just escape into and this this was some this was like what I did for um you know until I moved out like I was out of work I was just like making music and it was you know that was kind of like the silver lining of that time for me was that like for the first time and probably the only time I'll ever have like I was able to just totally run up to this like separated room and just like escape and learn and yeah there's something magical about that also like I definitely lost my mind many times just like being <laughs> isolated like and not being able to like tear you myself you be the only one during that yeah I know period. exactly um and yeah just like not being able to like tear myself away from the computer because I felt like I was like on the brink of something and then like I you know most times wasn't but it was just like there was something like very intoxicating about it that I, you know, like I, um, where I live now, I like have a space like carved out to, to make my stuff. And, um, I like, I don't really have a problem like diving into it, but it definitely doesn't feel as much, it doesn't feel like as much of a, um, like a refuge mm -hmm. now. Which I've never really thought about. Like maybe that's something to work towards eventually. Like having an attic of my own again. And hell yeah, um, attic two like, point yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe one day. Maybe one day, attic two point I like that. Let's uh, let's talk about the first track that you're going to perform for us in the local Bop Studio, which is entitled Circles. Uh, what preface would you give to this track before we bend our ears and give it a listen? Um, it is one of the first songs that I wrote completely on my loop pedal. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's from a project that I'm really excited about. Oh, <laughs> guarded. <laughs> secret, secret. Secrets. <laughs> yeah.
And we're back in the local bop studio with Laura Wolf. Now, I'd love for us to get a little bit more granular with the songs that we hear on Artifacts in terms of the synthesis of strings and synth that's at the center of your craft. We're going to talk a lot about craft at this point, I imagine. I was just thinking, you know, when I was watching you perform uh, right now, not beforehand, uh, right now, these have these these songs happen live in the studio, lest anyone get it twisted. Uh, how do you find that balance, you know, between the two sort of facets or components, I want to say, of performance, uh, you know, that presence of cello related to synth? Uh, do you see it as sort of a balancing act, or is it more of this sort of intertwined creation wherein the synthetic and the analog kind of lived together in the same space, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think um I think it feels really organic just because I like though I can play keys and I do play keys when I'm really like producing some a song, I write usually on the cello because that's what I play. Mm-hmm. And so it's it I feel like it's it just feels kind of organic to me to to combine the two with artifacts something that I was really interested in and this was sort of a byproduct of being in a noisy environment was how to like take the shortest amount of recording because the longer I would record the more likely there was it was to like get outside noise right yeah in the recording the the thing I was really interested in was taking just pieces of stuff that I had recorded on my cello or voice or, um, you know, voice memo that somebody sent me or whatever and turning that into, basically turning those things into synths and, like, being able to control them and make them do what I want um, instead of using an actual, like, live recording of, like, the length of a song. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It, it kind of all stemmed... I be, I feel like my process generally comes from just trying to learn. Um, that's probably, like, the one common denominator. And so at the time, what I was trying to learn at the time of, like, the demo day process was I didn't know anything about synths. Mm-hmm. So I was just, like, trying to figure out what, like, attack, dis- decay, sustain, release was. I didn't know anything about that. And Ableton has a really strong um, sampler, and 
I didn't even, I have the, I had like the basic version of Ableton at the time, which doesn't even have like the full blown simpler or simpler and sampler. I don't know. Um, I always mix them up, but they're samplers and they're really powerful. But basically what you can do is you can turn any sample or sound into a synth and trigger it to, um, you can just basically, yeah, you can just turn sounds into synths. So I was taking uh, plucks of the cello and bows of the cello and just kind of doing whatever I wanted with them, adding arpeggiators, playing with the sustain and release on them, making these like weird alien-like sounds. And um, yeah, so in that way, it just kind of happens really organically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's just one feeding into the other and then that did you ever feel like that sort of reflected back into what you were performing cello wise or yeah so like that's that was yeah it was very it was kind of like a cyclical like that like I would start out with just like for example a sample of me plucking a string and then I would tune that to a C and then Mm. I made a synth that was just me plucking and then I would um link that to like a MIDI roll of some melody. And then, you know, I would do all these like crazy effects on it, like, or not even crazy. Sometimes it was just as simple as like a delay or reversing it and then like adding some reverb and then reversing that. Um, And then I would go back and record cello over it, like an actual full line. Right. Of cello. So it was kind of, so in the end, it was all kind of living in the same sound world, but not sounding at all the same because by the end, it was like a completely different instrument. Right. Yeah. I don't know if that's answering. No, 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 that that does. It's interesting to think about. I, I mean, it kind of begs the question for me if there were any sort of uh, sampled sounds uh, that existed external to the cello uh, that made their way onto this effort that you in particular are proud of uh like you know twisting and machinating not a verb but you know <laughs> uh, machina- i'm gonna stand by it machinating yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, machina- <laughs> into uh into uh into their own sort of like alien synths as you will that you know i guess existed like i said separate from your bread and butter the cello yeah so in paravain yes. um my friend gabby hornig is an incredible whistler you got to be kidding me, by the you way. You know Gabby Hornig? No, no, I don't know Gabby Hornig. Oh. But, the, but this is the sound that I wanted to ask yeah. about that I was that I referenced before we started oh. recording. I was like, I was like, this I is. I thought the one. you were like leading me towards. That. No, no, no. I was not. What? Well, I, do I look like Nardwar? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was. There's there's that joyful whistle at the center center of Paravane that I yeah. actually will probably play in a second on this episode, so people can know what we're talking about. But I was yeah. really curious about that. Was the one in particular that I wanted to ask about because it does. It give, it has this bouncy sort of yeah joyful quality to it, and I was wondering what the uh, what the origin of that sound in particular was. Yeah, that reminds me that I should post the original voice memo somewhere so people can hear it. But maybe in like your show notes or something. But my Ooh. friend Gabby, who I went to college with, he's an amazing singer and also just a ridiculous whistler. Like can riff anything, and when. I think it was like in 2019 because I was still living in New York. He sent me, I wanted him to play on a song or to whistle on a song that was kind of a part two to Good Veins that I never ended up releasing. And um, he recorded a voice memo of him whistling and sent it to me. I tried to put it in, but like, again, didn't really have, I mean, maybe it was just not right, but it just never, like, ended up making it onto the draft of Good Veins Part 2, and then Good Veins Part 2 never saw the light of day. So, I had this whistle voice memo, and I was, like, looking for inspiration for the demo day thing, and I dug out this voice memo just to see if I could, like, use it on the Ableton sampler that Mm. I was trying to learn. And so, I, um, I put it into the sampler, and I just started, a, it started changing the release on it. And I added, I remember what it was. I added a, por- a portamento. It was either a portamento or a glide. But basically, I, I looped 
a MIDI signal to that sample and then resampled that. And while I was doing that, I like, I basically went up and down on the amount of time that the, like, the release and the portamento were going for. And what I ended up with was, I don't know how long it was, but this is something that I do a lot. It was probably like 10 minutes of just like these weird little alien sounds. And I went through and listened and just chose two bars that I was like, this is really cool. And then, yeah. And then that became like the basis for Paravane. And also at the time I was like really jazzed about, um, this one drum machine in Ableton that it's actually really frustrating to use and I haven't used it since, but like I was uh, just playing around with triggering the drum machine with the same MIDI signal from the whistle. So like they were kind of in line Mm. and that's, it's just, that's what came out. I like was really also jazzed on toms at the time. So I just like had these crazy toms that I was, I feel like there's um there's a uh, a philosophy emerging right now at the center of your craft of this idea of sampling and resampling again that I think is kind of interesting. Uh, I think arriving at that point in which something feels finished must be kind of difficult for you. It seems, it, or am I? It, it, do I have that wrong? It just seems like if you're inclined to sample and resample your work and your sounds and create newer, more alien soundscapes, it's like when do you find that point to stop? Like yeah. when 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 has it arrived at the destination at the place where it's where it should be? Yeah, I think I think you're right. For a while, that was definitely the case. I think definitely for artifacts like I was discovering all these ways to manipulate sound and so I was like overdoing it and then just like ending up with like hours of audio that I like would dig through but the cool thing about the demo day project was I was like running against the clock so I kind of had to choose quickly Mm -hmm. so in that way it wasn't difficult to finish but I definitely yeah it's good to have limits and I've, I think over time, I think over time I've figured out what's going to work and how to get to the finish line, like, more quickly. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I guess the, the only sort of follow-up question I had about that was, uh, how does Gabby feel about the about their final co- contribution to this, this I think effort? he's psyched about he's it. He's psyched about it? Yeah. yeah. I'm psyched for you, Gabby, if you're listening at home. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's one of my favorite instrumental components of this extended play. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it. Um, yeah. I want to do more of that where people people have sent me voice memos and I like want to do more of that where they just send me something random and I sort of run with it. and then Yeah. See yeah. what you can see how you can yeah. take that musical artifact and uh, exactly and create new meaning from it. Mm-hmm. I imagine that I didn't. I usually don't try to dive into the titles of projects, but I guess that uh, I don't know if that was related to your process at all. Yeah. Oh. Oh. oh well, artifact. I came up with the name. <laughs> that would have been a genius moment. Uh, that would have been the biggest br- galaxy brain moment of this this yeah. podcast if I had been right in that regard. But I'm not. <laughs> well, I. I mean, it that like the naming of it was like very intentional, but I didn't have that like <laughs> that thought before making the songs or during the process. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> Podcast. This whole show is over. Uh, no, let's uh, let's move on. Um, so just to circle back for a second, you know, we're shifting back towards the music. Uh, we are talking briefly about Good Veins Part 2, which never came to be. But at the least, we can listen to Good Veins Part 1, or as most people might just know it, Good Veins. Uh, what sort of preface would you provide about this song before we all give it a listen right here in the Local Bop studio? Um, this was, I wrote this on my live setup in 2017 and then spent like a year jogging my feet about recording it and then I spent a year producing it during my lunch breaks. <laughs> <laughs> I love a good lunch break too. Yeah. Yeah. It was like pure experimentation and learning how to use Ableton and yeah. 
Well, on that note, let's bend our ears. Good Veins by Laura Wolf right here, right now, in the local Bop studio. Check it out. Yeah. 
somehow I guess you forgot There's something that's go deeper Than two little people And somehow I guess you forgot Stay here for the And we're back in the studio, Laura Wolf performing Good Veins. Uh, I only have a few more questions before you depart. I want to say, before we get into those, thank you again for taking the time to come on this show again for the redux of your Local Bops debut, this time in the podcast format. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, before we really wrap this up, I wanted to sort of zoom out and focus on your Bandcamp presence over the last few years. You know, there's a remarkable amount of demos and instrumentals and one-offs that live on your page, and you've described the space as a safe haven for sharing as you evolve as a producer, which you know we've been talking about during this uh, this episode. This sort of evokes a two-part question that I have, which is one: What do you think your primary takeaway has been on this journey vis-a-vis sharing on Bandcamp? And two: Did you ever have that fear of oversharing your art while it was in the works? Um, you know, pulling back the curtain before the sculpture was finished, so to say. Yeah, so I felt, so the first things that I put up on my band's camp, well, Good Veins was kind of like the official first mm-hmm. whatever release, and then there were, and then there were the, the song a day demos. Um, and that experience in itself, I like, I definitely identify as, a perfectionist and that experience was so liberating because one I mean it's just liberating to put something that's kind of unfinished and raw and has tons of mistakes out in the public and be like I don't care mm-hmm. um because then like you have to not care but two um you realize that like the only people going to your band camp to listen like actively are people who are supporting you Mm -hmm. or who who are like interested in what you're doing or excited um or haters in the local scene or haters in the local scene yeah um and looking at you billy (laughs) (laughs) um and i think (laughs) i felt a lot of support right after the demo a day from I was living in Connecticut and I just felt a lot of support for like 
just putting myself out there and, and going for it and I was proud of the melodies at the very least and um and it was like very encouraging and then I I think I like put three more batches of demos up that year or maybe two more I don't know over the last couple of years there have been a few batches and yeah it's kind of just um proven yeah proven that to be true that the people that people are really excited about hearing demos that are in progress and also those people like people who aren't into it just aren't they're not like seeking it out right yeah um but also i i kind of i wish that the process behind songs was a little more demystified like i think I think it would be cool to like look behind the curtain in a lot of cases and see what like unfinished looks like. Um, And I think what I'm so interested in is production. And that's very much like the process of putting together and building and sculpting and perfecting. And because that's so much of my process like my my songs aren't about like a prodigious voice or like amazing I don't know um like amazing like an amazing band and their like energy together in a room like my music I feel is very much about the process and it felt like it made sense to kind of share that but I've sort of shifted over to sharing demos on my patreon Mm -hmm. um kind of to narrow in on people who are really about the process and really interested in in learning more about what I'm doing um behind the scenes and it's also a really good way for me to show up like I post demos at least once a month um and it's definitely it's definitely helped me to keep making and making honestly um, and also uh, create, yeah, create with like the right amount of abandon. Right. Like, and not in the abandon, like abandoning the song yes. sense, but in the like letting my ego go. Sense. The reckless abandon, if yes, you will. Yes, the reckless abandon way. Plus, as we mentioned earlier, always good to have a deadline if you have, a, if yeah. you have people who are, you It's know, a limit and yeah. that's, that's super helpful. Yeah. Well, very proud of your journey. Very excited about this EP. It's fantastic. Uh, Thank you again for coming on. While we're on the subject of being proud of things, let's talk about the very last track that you're going to perform for us in the studio, which is also entitled Proud. Um, Just as a quick final two-parter question, one, do you have any parting words for people who are listening at home? And two, once more, if you just tell us a little bit about this track before we bend our ears and listen to it and wrap this episode up. Um, well, thanks for listening (laughs) and, um, proud is also a song I wrote quite a while ago on my live setup that I recently put into demo form and shared on my Bandcamp, um, when I was exploring a very specific synth. So it's very synth heavy on my Bandcamp. Um, what you'll hear here that I'm about to play is, um, pretty much just cello and sampler um and that's kind of closer to what will be the final um audio format coming out hopefully sometime in 2022 
drift is an empty bed in the half life in your head of what we never said. It gathers in the chest like some roulette of an early onset. You feel firmly planted on the ground. I hope you're proud. I hope you're proud. Can't you see my It's not a shot in the dark, it's a loaded dart, and it's stretching out your heart. It gathers in the chase like some wet or in the Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Local Bops. This podcast was recorded in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and produced by my friend and king of the Zoomers, Billy Coughlin, a.k.a. Bilko. If you enjoyed Laura Wolf's performance, you can find all her music at laurawolfmusic.bandcamp.com. Be sure to also follow her on Instagram as well, at laurawolfmusic. You can find all episodes of the Local Bops podcast at localbops.com, as well as on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Additionally, you can hear the Local Bops Radio Hour every other Tuesday on Capus.fm. Thanks for tuning in. Take care and Godspeed.